The scripture chosen for our meditation this morning is our Old Testament lesson for today from Isaiah. I'll reread it for you now. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like the deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness, for it will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Brothers and sisters, it's dark and past bedtime the night before Christmas. And a young girl has struggled to get to sleep. She's been so excited leading up to Christmas, but finally she catches a few winks until... She is wake, awoken by some sounds that she hears from the living room where the Christmas tree is. <gasps> is it Santa? She quietly gets out of bed, tiptoes down the hallway, peers into the living room, and is mortified by what she sees. It's not Santa. It's her dad. And he's manhandling a big gift with her name on it. And she says, Daddy, we're supposed to leave those alone until Christmas. Her father says, you're right, sweetie. He puts it down. They go off to bed. Crisis averted, right? What is it about Santa that commands children's allegiance, that gets them so excited? What is it about this big guy in red pajamas with a leather belt and leather boots? Isn't it what Santa represents? Santa is a metaphor, you could say. And the bag of gifts that he has slung around his shoulder or carried in his sleigh represents possibilities, potential, untold riches. Those gifts under the, under the tree, underneath their wrapping paper, they could be anything. They could be the one thing this child has been waiting for all their life, and now their life is going to be much more fun once they get to open it. There's no telling. But that mystery doesn't last forever. At one point, the gift has to be opened, and the child figures out 
what it is. So some of the mystery is removed, some of that potential is realized. But on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, when they open their presents, there's that moment where they're staring at what they have, overjoyed, still thinking about the possibilities. But that doesn't last forever. It only takes about 300 battles between Spidey and Doc Ock action figures for the child to forget that they even exist. A teen can log 100 hours on a video game, but will still be bored eventually and look for the next thing. That potential that was once seen in Santa's bag of gifts is never really delivered, sad to say. But you knew that already. You've been there, you've done that. You've gone through it, you've gotten the new job only to see that the new problems are, are right there, that the, your new job position might offer uh, solutions to the, the problems you had at your previous job, but it has its own stresses, its own problems, and suddenly you feel like you've been here before. You looked forward to retirement, to the freedom that it promised, and then finally when you did retire, you noticed that your problems in life did not automatically cease. And with free time came a lot more time to address, to, to address the problems at home, the problems with your relationships. Sometimes more time with your family means more interpersonal conflict. Maybe you weren't ready for that. In life, there are all these new horizons, right, that we see off in the distance, and they promise new potential solutions and peace and prosperity, and finally all our problems will cease, and then you get there. And it feels like very familiar territory because your problems have followed you, haven't they? Christmas might bring fun new gifts, but they will wear off, and by next Christmas you'll be looking for something newer and more fun. Same thing on repeat, right? It seems like in our lives we are always chasing something because it always also seems that we are being chased. We're searching for feelings of security and comfort and peace because we are be constantly being chased by our problems, by the things that don't make us feel secure or comforted or at peace. What were the concerns at the top of mind for an Old Testament Israelite? Well, when potable water was not very dependable and when plumbing wasn't really a thing, how will we stay hydrated? How will we survive? What will we eat? Will the plants that we're planting right now, the crops that we're planting, yield a harvest when it's time? Will we survive? We have no control. If we're traveling, if we're walking on the highway, is there bandits, highway robbers hiding out in the sidelines for us? And when we stop for the night and we, we dwell in our tents, is there some untold beast out there that we've never seen before that might be stalking us, that ready to attack? You know, we might feel like in a modern day we are more sophisticated with our problems and our fears, but at the core are the same heart concerns, right? Safety, peace, comfort, love, belonging, not feeling like we are alone. That is a human desire that spans all of history, no matter if you're an Old Testament Israelite or an American living in 2022. 
That's what we all want. And to feel like we don't have it. That's what a feeling is, right? An emotion. It's something that you feel in response to facts. So if you feel convinced, if you take it as a fact that you are alone and that no one cares about you, how will that make you feel? Scared? Maybe angry? Afraid? If you are convinced that you are by yourself and that it's, and that it's up to you to make ends meet, that will make you feel anxious or proud. If you are convinced that the world is conspiring against you and that you are powerless to stop it, that will make you feel weak, helpless. And those feelings, those negative thoughts and feelings will drive you to seek out solutions and comfort, not under a Christmas tree, but in anywhere else. No matter what you do, no matter what person you talk to or purchase that you make or life decision that you make to try to solve those negative feelings, doesn't it always disappoint? Why? Why do we struggle so much time and time again to make ourselves feel okay? A couple weeks ago in Bible class, we asked the question, does God care if you're happy? Does God want you to be happy? And I don't think that question is very good. <laughs> I'm sorry to leave you, lead you astray. Because emotions are reactions to facts. So if you are happy, that means you have something to be happy about. If you are at peace, that means there's something present in your life to make you feel at peace. What was the happiest day of your life? Your wedding day? When your kids were born, when your grandkids were born, when you finally came home after a difficult deployment, when you got the job, when you got promoted, when you got your master's, when you got your doctorate, your happiest day of your life was the day when something good happened for you that meant good things for you. And your happiness was a reaction to the fact that good things were to come. What does Isaiah want us harassed and helpless people, weak and anxious people to see. He wants us to see the facts. God wants us to be happy, but to have a happiness that is based on real, concrete facts. And Isaiah represents these real, concrete facts in such beautiful, poetic language. He directs our eyes to a barren and hot desert floor. While we're looking at it, what do you expect to happen? It's going to stay barren. It's going to stay hot, right? Isaiah directs our eyes to a blind person, a person who can't hear, a person who can't talk, someone who is too weak to even stand up. We see them, maybe feel sorry for them, but we're not expecting amazing things, are we? But then all of a sudden, the blind person can see? The mute person can speak, the deaf person can hear. All of a sudden, the, the hot and dry and arid desert is bursting forth with these plants that it can only grow in a rainforest-type atmosphere. All of a sudden, the hot, the hot desert floor is bursting forth with beautiful, crystal-clear drinking water. How can it be? That's impossible. Impossible. 
why do we keep longing, brothers and sisters? And why, why are the ways that we seek to make us feel okay, why do they always disappoint? It's because of how we were designed. God created us to enjoy a relationship of love with him. To find our satisfaction in nothing else than his glory and his grace alone. That was our design. That was the mold, the model, the pattern. And we broke that design with our sin. And you can see that every time you and I have ever sought for things only God can give in anything other than God. With that design pattern broken, it's a miracle that anything good would happen with us. It's a miracle that we could ever expect God to pay attention to us. We have sinned too much. It would be a miracle. Thankfully, God is in the business of doing miracles. Where you thought it would be impossible for anyone to love you, to value you, to care about you, in your darkest moments when you feel like no one is paying attention to your needs and your interests, when you feel like it's impossible for anyone to take notice of you, remember that God does the impossible. God does love you. God does care for you and hold your best interests in his heart because he chooses to. The God of wrath against sin, the God of justice, chooses to save us sinners. He is in the business of doing miracles, of doing the impossible. The life of Jesus Christ is just one big miracle, isn't it? God in the flesh walking among us. And Jesus literally, actually did what Isaiah predicted in, in the verses for today. As he walked the earth, he healed the blind, gave them their sight. He healed the leprous, gave them health. He caused people who were crippled to be able to walk again. He caused the, muse, the mute to speak. He even raised people from the dead. But if there was a camera following Jesus all, all along, recording all of this, he would have broken the fourth wall. He would have looked into the camera and said, you think this is powerful? You think these are miracles? You haven't seen anything yet. Just you wait until you see the God-man, Jesus Christ, get up on a cross, and in the most amazing miracle ever, suffer an eternity of hell, everything you and I deserve, in an evening suffer all, 100%, every drop of God's wrath against sin in your place. And he wasn't done there. He was placed in a tomb, his lifeless body, and what happened three days later, but he burst forth out of that tomb like a flower in the desert, bursting into bloom, proving that you are right with God, your relationship restored. Everything you were designed to do that you failed to do now is given to you for free in Jesus Christ. The things that you were searching for in all the wrong places, Jesus hands to you through faith in the gospel. Belonging as you belong to God, your heavenly Father. Safety and security as you are guaranteed a good relationship with your creator and judge. Love acceptance, value in God's sight as he values you on the basis of Christ and calls you his dear child. Those are the facts. 
It is a fact that Jesus died for you. It is a fact that Jesus was raised from the dead for you. And if that makes you feel happy, I think you're just responding to the facts. Does God want you to be glad and happy and joyful? I think we can say yes, because he presents you with these cold, hard truths that you are eternally loved, completely forgiven, and on your road to heaven. And God doesn't even stop there. But in concrete fashion, he gives you reminders and refreshers of his love. The last time you were up here for communion at the communion rail, you tasted and saw that the Lord is good and that God loves you and that God has forgiven your sins. When you felt water cascading over your head in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you felt that God loves you and he did what he says in Isaiah. He caused a desert to bloom like a garden as he caused faith to bloom in your heart. As he changed your sinful heart of stone into a heart of flesh that sees him as he is, your creator and your redeemer. These are the cold hard facts and you hold the cold hard facts in your hands whenever you hold the Bible and read it for yourself. Remembering again and again that God loves you. But I realize that we're all human beings. It is often a struggle to feel happy. That's why feelings are not what we capitalize on. It's not what we focus on. We focus on the facts, right? If you find yourself struggling and tempted to feel joyful, to feel glad, then picture this. Isaiah has us look at a highway. Not a highway for cars. Isaiah didn't know what a car was. But a highway, a well-paved road through the desert, one where you don't have to worry about tripping on the root of a tree or stubbing your toe on a rock. He says there, there aren't even idiots walking to and, f- and f- to and fro not realizing where they're going, getting in your way. There aren't bandits on the side ready to pounce on you. There aren't beasts of any kind that will attack you. You're safe on this highway. And you look around and you're not alone. And you look at the faces of the people who are walking with you and they're all smiling. Some of them are laughing. Some of them are crying tears of joy. You are on the highway called the way of holiness. You're wondering why are they so happy and you remember where this highway is headed. To Mount Zion where God dwells. You're going to worship. You're going to a great church service that will last forever and you're singing and glorifying God will never cease and your gladness will never stop. You will always be happy once you get there. Brothers and sisters, this is life. You are walking that path even now as you take one step at a time, one foot in front of the other, one day at a time. And every day, what you find is that God is right there with his promises to remind you again and again, as often as you need it, as often as your heart sinks and you forget the facts, he's there to remind you the facts, to point you back to the cross, to the empty tomb, to point you ahead to the manger where your Savior was born, to point you ahead to Mount Zion, heaven itself, which waits for all of us through faith in Jesus. 
where all our problems and troubles and pains will cease and our gladness will be eternal. Amen.